This is the seventh Sunday after Epiphany. We have one more Sunday to go, and then we're in the solemn season of Lent. But this morning, uh, I want to preach on the reading from the Old Testament from Leviticus, and also on the reading from Matthew's Gospel, where he takes uh, some Leviticus uh, pronouncements and stands them on their head. But I thought I'd say a little something about Leviticus generally as well, because I don't think we read very often from Leviticus, and it's probably a good thing. (laughs) But before that, the major theme, the overarching theme in all of the readings actually this week is the idea or the, the concept of holiness. And that has been something that people have uh, struggled with. Uh, Some have wished to make Christianity the center of it, holiness. Some of it think holiness is a little bit too severe, and we don't want to do that. But holiness is important, so we should understand what it is, and that all of us should seek holiness in some form. And at the end of today's gospel, Jesus, it's one of my favorite lines in the New Testament and one of the ones that was the hardest for me to understand, and that is, you must be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. A lot of people have confused holiness with perfection, and so I want to say some things about that. The word holiness comes from an old English word, halligness, which means to without blemish or injury. And there are, of course, in Hebrew and Greek, words that mean the same thing. And these, we have understood, uh, have three forms in the biblical witness, how we understand holiness. One of them is priestly, which emphasizes the setting apart uh, or the separation and the purity uh, uh, for cult, for worship. And this is true both for the individuals, the priestly class. Leviticus is, is a, a book that talks a lot about the rules and, and the rules for worship. And you'll see, I'm going to try to give you some affirmative uh, understandings of what, what it says in Leviticus. The other form of holiness is prophetic, which emphasizes the relationship between worship, social justice, and conversion of heart. And the third one is sapiential, which is kind of a rough word, but it has to do with wisdom. And it puts the emphasis on the need for individual integrity as it develops under the eye of God and as we cultivate and use the practical wisdom that we have learned in our day-to-day experience. I was not able to attend the clergy conference because of a surfeit of effluent at St. Luke's Church in the, in the downstairs rooms. But the uh, person who led the clergy conference this year was uh, a contemplative um, Episcopal priest by the name of Cynthia Bergeau. Is that how we would say it? That's about as good as I could Good as you could do, yes. They just referred to her as Cynthia all the time. Cynthia all the time, yeah. It's, I think that was a good idea. But I watched, I've watched a number of YouTube videos of her speaking about her, her views on the contemplative life. She's a, a, a great friend of Father Keating's, and she wrote a book about um, 
contemplative prayer as it related, or centering prayer as it related to that. But in one of these YouTube videos, she had conducted an interview and was speaking about wisdom. And I thought what she said was, was very good. She said, wisdom is not necessarily or mainly increasing your knowledge. It has to do with seeing more clearly and deeply what, it, what is, right? So when we say practical wisdom, it means our, our sheer experience in some ways gives us uh, a greater understanding of the way things are. And for that, we've learned something or we have s some things to pass on uh, ab about, those, about what wisdom might mean. So I, I took that as, as something that was very helpful, certainly in this context. The book of Leviticus is the third book of the Hebrew Bible. It's in the Torah, the Pentateuch. And the English name is Leviticus. And it rests on two crucial beliefs. The first is that the world was created very good and retains the capacity to achieve that state although it is vulnerable to sin and defilement. The second, that the faithful enactment of ritual makes God's presence available while ignoring or breaching it compromises the harmony between God and the world. And in Leviticus, the penalties, it's trouble and plenty of it. So you need to make sure you're crossing your, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. But, you know, the affirmative side of that is that Episcopalians are a liturgical church, and uh, most of us are fed deeply by the liturgy and by its importance and believe to be strengthened by this uh, each week as we move forward with our ordinary lives, that this is something that's important. And worship is not, in our context, uh, in order to keep us right with God. It's in order to express to God our thankfulness. We've been reading for the last two weeks from uh, Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is one of those places where in the new perspective on Paul, uh, many of the New Testament scholars say, just read Psalm 119 and see if you believe that the people who kept the law thought it was a burdensome, onerous thing that they had to do in order to stay in. I love your law, Right? I loved keeping these commandments. It's not something that I, uh, that I am doing because I'm afraid, although I suspect many Jews have and do keep the law because they want to make sure that they're all clicked okay. But uh, that's not how you get in it's, or how you stay in. It's because you, because you love God. So in Leviticus... Uh, we have these two things that are in front of us. Also, the traditional view is that Le Leviticus was compiled by Moses. That's the great tradition, or that the material in it goes back to his time. But internal clues suggest that it originated in post-exilic. I've talked about this. Ernest has talked about this. After 538 BCE, Jewish worship centered on reading or preaching Scholars are practically unanimous that the book had a long period of growth, that it includes some material of considerable antiquity, and that it reached its present form in the Persian period, 538 to 332 BCE. So it's not 
you know, way back when. It's uh, in, in the period of the Babylonian exile and so forth. So in this first reading, Leviticus is, uh, God declares through Moses that he, we should be holy because God is holy. And then he gives us a series of directions that we've heard before, some very similar to the Ten Commandments, and that we should love one another. Let me see if I can find the, uh, the correct thing here, but I can't. So uh, you, you must, we must love one another. Now here's the rub. The rub is that what they're talking about in, in Leviticus is that Israelites should love fellow Israelites. And so the magnanimity which is described here with regard to how we treat people is focused on people like us in this. That's, that's a, a, when reading Leviticus again, it reminds me that this is very sort of specific to the community. And so while the ideals about uh, worship uh, the ideals about the way in which we understand God making the world and calling it good, uh, it still reflects that idea that it's for the people of the covenant. So the savior of the world, a Jew, is now speaking today in the continuation of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's standing that on its head. And there's a lot of hyperbole in here, for sure, he repudiates the view that's also in Leviticus, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That that sort of uh, vengeance or, or justice is not, to be, is not to be recommended. That we are to love our enemies. That we are to be extravagant with our generosity. That we are not to retaliate. There is a, a type of uh, absolute pacifism in this passage. And this, this would be a, a, the subject for a forum or, or an Episcopalian 101 to discuss this. I don't want to do this now, but um, what are the limits of pacifism and how do we understand what it means? Uh, and uh, if we believe in absolute pacifism, what do we mean when we say that? There are two um, heroes uh, of the 20th century who practiced it, Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr., and they practiced their principles very strictly and did not urge their followers in any way to retaliate. And yet at the same time in, our, in the 20th century, we have experienced things where absolute pacifism would not have been the best answer. And so that's a conversation. And it continued through Christianity, certainly with the great medieval theologians and others about what this means and how do we understand what it means. It's fair to say that Jesus could be um, the head of the peace party in the Judaism of his day. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about it. But today he's doing something else that we need to see beyond, and except the individual things about give your cloak to the guy, don't do this, don't do that. And that is that he is universalizing what was said in the holiness code in Leviticus. And he's saying the generosity that you express 
that I have spoken about here now in a, a very hyperbolic fashion, perhaps, is not to be dispensed merely to your fellow Jews. It's for everybody. And what I announce in my ministry and in my words and in my works is that God is bringing this to the world and once again placing it before everybody, that his embrace is for everyone. And that we are to be ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. That that is the way in which we express that in, in our own age. And so I think that's the best way to understand this whole section. But at the end, he says, you must be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I've spoken about this a number of times before. When I was younger and read this, I couldn't understand perfection. I knew that uh, I would, was worried because of my lack of perfection. And I thought, this is impossible. I began to see that there were people who uh, became sick or crazy trying to be perfect. And so what, it, what is it that you do? Then, of course, I came from a good family, but then some things happened to me, and I went to seminary. <laughs> so when I, when I went to seminary and, and started to learn Greek, I, I read it in Greek, and it said, Telaios. Well, it means perfect, but it usually means mature or complete. So for me, mature is easier to get and understand than perfect, right? You know, we preach and teach in the Episcopal Church in most places these days that the over-focus on our personal sinfulness, our total depravity, all of the things that make us, as it said in the Collect today, what did it say about this? Um, oh, Lord, you have taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. It's a good thing without love is in there because love is the thing that does make it worth something. But it is perfectly possible to see that it is not merely just God reaching in and fixing that. It's that God works through us and always have, ha has. And in, when you read even in Leviticus, that's what they're talking about there too. So focusing on the idea of uh, perfection means that there are ways in which we can move in that direction, move to completeness, to maturity. And I've said to, for me, my teacher, Urban Holmes III, said, you know, here's what one of the great threads of Anglicanism is in the spiritual tradition. There's the tradition of pietism, which means you have to feel it so that you know that you're on the right track. And then there's mysticism, which is probably an unfortunate term, but it's purgation, emptying, study, discipline, and patience. There are five things that you can do, put in your hands as you live on a daily basis, to move more like God, as the Eastern Orthodox would say, to, to enter the process of deification, that we become less unlike God 
through participating in these things, these disciplines. And so becoming perfect is, I think, what Jesus was talking about. It's a process that all of us go through and uh, come to some spiritual wholeness, as uh, Cynthia said, the, the idea of seeing now more clearly and more deeply as you, as you live. So this week, uh, work on your holiness. Uh, understand that you're called to be holy. Understand that uh, holiness is not beyond reach. And that you can, through your holiness, influence others in a good direction. Amen.